Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I don't have Brent on the line with me, but I do have another Conquer the Gauntlet Pro. Actually, I have two, so get ready for another All Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team episode. Joining me as my co-host, I have Lisa Nondorf. Lisa, welcome back to the show. Yay, excited to be back. You may remember Lisa from the episode we did with her a couple months ago where we talked about her professional high diving career and her transition into OCR and her dominant master's performance at Conquer the Gauntlet and other race series. So, Lisa, welcome back. Yes, Yes, happy, happy. And before we introduce our other guests, we're going to do a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is being brought to you by RecBag. If you're not familiar with RecBag, I'm not sure where you've been in the OCR world, right? You need to get familiar with RecBag. You're not familiar with Breckbag. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> so the if you've been to OCR World Championships and North American World Championships, or if you went to Battle Frog, or if you go to Terrain Race, pretty much you go to almost any series of OCR, you'll see Breckbag on the right. course. They're the the weighted bags that have essentially synthetic beads on the inside, yeah, instead of sand, so it makes them more right. durable. I've never seen a Breckbag rip like ever, like ever. No. And like I it, throw mine around like a crazy person because I tend to get really mad because I don't like carries. So mine gets thrown through the gym. So, But it's great because I do like um, – I can do a lot of CrossFit stuff with them. So actually the CrossFit programming I use, it actually requires me to have a rec bag. So it will physically say you need to do cleans with a rec bag or you need to go do a run with a rec bag. So oh, it's cool. the greatest tool ever. So I use it across a lot of disciplines, not just OCR. And speaking of rec bag, I actually about a year ago picked up picked up a pair of the rec ribs. So they're essentially these straps that go along the center of the rec bag, and it allows for additional handles. Do you have that, Lisa? Oh, that's cool. I don't have that. I need that. Yeah, I'll they're pr- look into that. They're pretty sweet, and it makes it you, it allows you to do a couple more exercises. You know, like bent over rows and stuff like that. And you know, when getting it onto your shoulder, it makes it a little bit easier. So yeah, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, my newest trick. I don't know if you saw it. Was pull ups with my rec bag. So that was pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so be on the lookout it for mo- oh. So great. <laughs> be on the lookout on Mudrun Guide. I have a review coming out about the rec ribs that's going to be publishing. I'm not sure if it'll be before or after this episode, but it's coming out. So check that out. And then if you want your own rec bag or your own rec accessories, what they call their accessories for the rec bag, you can use the code CTG Protein 10 for 10% off your order. Yeah, they're awesome, so you need to get one. All right, awesome. now, enough of that. Let's get introduced to our guest. Our guest today is Doug Snyder, the newest member of the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. He's been a, had a dominant year as a Masters CTG athlete. I believe he's undefeated this year, and I know won at least one uh, last year or a couple last year. So, yes. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And then on top of that, Doug and Lisa know each other pretty well. So what's uh? How do you guys know each other? <laughs> we actually met on a podium at Conquer the Gauntlet Atlanta. 
So, which is pretty crazy. That was his first Conquer the Gauntlet, and it was a race that I wasn't even planning on going to, and Jay Flores convinced me to come. So we both, um, we met on top of the podium and then just developed a friendship, and it's developed further since then. And so now, I guess, we um, we are now currently dating. So and we've been doing so for about a year. So Awesome. Long distance, yeah. So we know each other pretty well. Yes. So we we want to get into a bunch of questions about what it's like to date another high-level OCR athlete and then also what it's like to have a long-term relationship. But before we get to that, you two recently got back from the OCR World Championships in London, which was also just announced as of recording this as of today, that it will return to the same location October 13th of 2019. So we're going to spend Correct. most of the episode talking about OCR World Championships and what that was like. So to... To give everyone a baseline, what other championships have you been to? We're talking NORAM, USOCRC, and OCRWC. Give me both of you. Um, I did the USOCR in Texas last year, um, and I did the OCR World Championships two years ago in Canada, um, and I've also been in the Battle Frogs 1 Championship race. Did you go to the World Championships in Ohio as well? The year prior? No. No. Oh, okay. All right. So I did um, the uh, USA Championships that was in Texas as well. Um, and then I did NORAMs this year. Um, and then I've done both years of OCR Worlds when they were in Canada. But you have not so. done the Ohio venue. No, I wasn't even doing OCR yet at that time. Well, I had just started. OCR when they were in Hawaii. That was my first year into the sport, so I didn't even know it existed. Gotcha. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was a newbie. <laughs> so. so so I think most of our listeners have at least been to one of the similar races, either Canada or Stratton, Vermont for the NORAM or the USOCRC. So I, I guess you use a lot of comparisons when we talk through this. So what was it like going over to London to different continent? and seeing the OCR scene there at a world championship level. You want to take it, Doug, or you want me yeah, to say something? Um, yeah. It was, it was a little bit of a culture shock. I mean, I, I have never traveled overseas for one thing. Um, so what I was trying to figure out before I even left was based on other people's experience or what I've read on the Internet. Um, I think the very first thing was just dealing with the time change, you know, the jet lag part of it. Um, and of course getting over there and like communicating and immediately jumping into a rental car that had to <laughs> on the opposite side and immediately trying to tell myself I have to stay on the opposite side of the road when I drive as well as shift the gear shift with my opposite hand. <laughs> Oh, did you do man? You did manual too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I I have a rule. I I only do one. I can do manual and drive on the correct side of the road, or I can do left side drive and drive automatic. Like I refuse to do well, both. The bad thing, his um his evil girlfriend did the car rental, and I didn't care because I wasn't driving the car. Yeah, she she said <laughs> we'll just take the cheapest available option. No, you got to get the automatic. <laughs> you got to get the automatic. I, I personally, I think. Now. We're good now. <laughs> oh, 
I had fun with it once I got the hang of it. <laughs> yeah, you did very well. We didn't pop any tires, so I'm hearing that that's like a huge feat for the weekend, that we, like, everyone was popping tires, so everybody was late getting to registration because they were stuck in the middle of nowhere with a pop tire, and they don't put spare tires in these cars. Yeah, so no, you would no. figure out how to go get a tire. <laughs> right. Nobody told me that at the beginning, that, hey, you don't have a spare tire, so... I guess I was extra lucky. Yeah. So that was our first experience over there. Um, I thought I was actually super impressed with the amount of other countries. You know, it just felt more international. I guess that being in Canada, and I'm assuming that also in Ohio, like the dominant was Canadians, Americans, um, you know, those two countries. Um, and going over there, we were still extremely well represented. The United States, I can say that. Like, I was very surprised um, how many people, I, you know, from the U.S. that I actually knew. Um, but I just felt like all the other countries seemed very well represented. Um, so just seeing the amount of international that was there was really, really impressive. You know, and then keep going back and, you know, it's my third year in a row. And so it's the friends that you still make that you only see once a year at Worlds. So um, that was pretty, that was pretty cool to come back onto that venue. And it still felt like um, a world championship level race. And it actually felt a little bit more because, you know, you hate to say for the first time you felt outnumbered, you know, speaking English. So, um, so it was pretty cool. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now the the race was held on the site of Nuclear Races, essentially permanent facility out there in England, just outside of London. So, right. which is mostly flat, and I heard it had a ton of mud. So, give me a compare and <laughs> contrast with the you know the terrain, the elevation changes in the mud compared to like Noram or uh, I, Blue Mountain County. I don't know if um, Doug has pulled his stuff down. I haven't pulled my stuff onto from my watch down yet. Um, okay. I'm going to assume the elevation change was, like, non-existent. <laughs> I didn't feel like there was many hills, but the the mud. Like, I don't know that I've ever run a race with that much mud, in all honesty. Right. So um, I think the last time I ran a race with a ton of mud was, like, Spartan Chicago one year. It was really bad. Um, I know Spartan Chicago this year was bad. I'm probably going to say it was similar to that. Gotcha. Um, and it and I just said I can't imagine what the venue would have been like if it would have been raining. Ooh, <laughs> it because it that. was dry. Yeah, like they hadn't had rain, so it was dry in their comparison. But um, you know, normally when I run a race, there's times that I'm like, okay, I'm done climbing walls. Like I'm over a wall. Can we stop having inverted wall or eight foot wall, six foot wall? In this race, I was done with the mud mounts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Can I just not climb into mud again? So Now, um, with so much mud on the course, one of the problems with that is it creates – it makes the obstacles a lot harder if you don't manage it, uh, especially for the grip strength obstacles, especially for the later waves of the day. Like I know when I used to run Battlefrog Extreme, you know, the, the first one or two laps, most of the obstacles would be easy for me. And then even sometimes something like a rope climb, like I remember doing Chicago and the rope was just like completely slick with mud. You know, it was just yeah, a, that would a complete be, mess. Uh, that rope climb, because I was at that same race as you, that was the exact same rope feeling when you did the slip wall at the fin- like the finish line. Um, Doug and I, Doug, you went out at 
what, you went out at 1 p.m. or later? I think 1.15. Yeah, we were the last two waves out. So yeah. Doug went out at 1.15, and then I went out at 1.30. So we were the last two waves. They sent the basically um, the master's men, 45 and up. The 40-year-olds had already gone out. But then the last wave was all master's females. So the 40 and up females. And then journeymen came out behind us. And the course, I don't know how you felt, Doug, but I just felt it was destroyed by the time we went. Um, <laughs> it, you it know, was, like, it was pretty muddy. Yeah, it was a big difference, you know, from running the short course on Friday than getting out there Saturday afternoon and seeing how much more tore up it was. But the mud had been ground into a lot of the grip strength kind of obstacles. Yeah. Um Notably, Skull Valley, I know a lot of people had trouble with that, and um, I noticed that the dirt had just been ground into where it was a nice textured grip the day before. It just turned into like a smooth coating of, of dirt just packed onto it. Right. So it was, um, it definitely played a factor, I think, in a lot of things. Um, and I, I personally can say for me, I wasn't prepared. Um, I wasn't, like, I don't run. Um, traditionally that type of course where it's just a lot of mud and I can say that I completely was not prepared for this course um, it's something that I'll be more prepared for next year um, knowing that it's coming um, and I'll keep my fingers crossed that it doesn't really rain um, because otherwise I don't even know that there's a way I can prepare for that much mud so um, I think we were laughing and there was an English guy and I remember talking to him and saying oh my god you're an island. How did you get this much mud? And they started laughing. And he said, oh, it's been worse. Like, this is actually really clean. So, um, and then even talking to um, some of the people there, and they said that definitely, like, the um, European countries had a huge benefit because they're used to this type of race. And I think in the U.S., um, we've kind of gone away from the amount of mud. Um, you know, like if you think of NORAMs, right. um, we can have water or mud. Um, worlds the last two, two years was dry. Yep. Um, even looking back to USA OCR, um, it had like minimal. I don't think there was mud. I think we got wet, but minimally. Um, so I think that it was just for me, it was a little bit on the, whoa, okay, I forgot what this feels like. Like I'm used to a ski slope, I'm used to, and it was a complete polar opposite. So. Yeah, that, now that you mention it, that's one of the things that makes me even more impressed with Jonathan Albin's performance, right? Like mm-hmm. he wins on the mountain courses, he wins on the flat course, he wins on the yeah. muddy courses, right? Like his range is just so huge. And, um, you know, I was watching the video, someone actually – their phone towards the uh, television when they showed the actual broadcast of the show and like yeah. i mean he he looks like effortless going through obstacles yeah. and there's like a pack of guys behind him that look like they're just like out of control trying to keep up with him it's it's very impressive um so well and Lindsay too i mean Lindsay's in the same boat she didn't she took what third at the short course right but um but she wasn't dominating like we watched i mean you know we don't go out till one thirty, so we're still laying in the hotel room watching um <laughs> the elites go out and the, the pro wave go out and you know Lindsay was not i mean what was she top five for most of the race and then just came through. I was like, what happened on the back half of the course that Lindsay just dominated everyone? You know, because she came back. 
So I was, in my head, I kept running the race going, okay, what obstacles are in the back half of this course that would have slowed people down enough to let Lindsay surpass? Because to me, she's in the same boat. She's dominant on, so far, every course you put her on. Yeah. So. So you said you weren't prepared for the mud, but you're going to try to be better prepared next year. Is there anything, specific changes you're going to try to make to your training to be better prepared, Mm -hmm. or are you just mentally knowing what's coming? I think mentally. I think mentally it wasn't like mentally I wasn't prepared and I wasn't um, prepared as far as the cold. You know, you start the race and you assume that, you know, you're not going to be cold. But when you're that muddy, you don't realize that that mud is like a coolant. And so I said I was shivering. Um, I was one of those fun people that got stuck at Skull Valley for longer than I ever want to talk about. But um just standing there, I mean, I was shivering. I was really, really cold, and um, and I said I had been cold since almost the start of the race. Um, once I got wet, I couldn't warm up. So even with the running and the everything, so it just, you know, I think that training my body a little bit more, even though I live in the no- north, I didn't train very well in the cold, and I think needing to do that a little bit more with the realization that I'm going to be wet and I need to learn how to adapt to that the cold and the wet, and then mentally prepare that it's not going to just be what we're used to, you know, where we don't get wet, where there's not really any mud. You finish the finish line, you might be dirty, but you're not, you know, caked full of mud. So, Gotcha. Now, I know Doug's very good on obstacles, right? Like you've mm-hmm. – you every CTG you showed up to this year, you, you kept your band, which is really impressive because some of them were super hard, and yeah. you swept all the masters for CTG – did any of the obstacles give you trouble at OCR World Championships? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, True. <laughs> I mean, the the uh, the stairway to heaven uh, had a wider gap at the top between the two highest steps. Um, you know, and just going off muscle memory, when I got to that point, that was that took some concentration to make that move to come down the downside of it but um other than that it all felt really comfortable gotcha now we said in your bio you're master's athlete but you're not like 40 or 41 you're 49 (laughs) that's yeah that's what i hear (laughs) i remind him daily (laughs) yeah i don't like to admit it but lisa's trying to break me of that (laughs) So, so how have you maintained or how have you improved your grip strength and uh, you know, body weight, movement strength over the last couple of years to keep it such a high level. Where you know you're you're not only dominating the masters athletes, but like at uh, Tulsa, I think you came in what fifth or fourth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at Frankfurt uh, the Gauntlet. So yeah, how, how have you been doing that? And any sort of changes you've made to your training in the last decade? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Well, let's just start in the last two years. <laughs> uh, the most recent change was getting more into the Ninja Warrior type gym training. Um, you know, that's gotten more popular, and uh, just I really like watching that show. And sometimes I watch reruns even, and just I would I would recreate some of those obstacles at home and practice on it and then we finally got a ninja gym uh nola muscle park in new orleans 
And whenever I get a chance, I go over there, but it's, you know, it's an hour and a half away. And that's the closest thing I have for a, a real ninja gem. Um, so that, that helped a whole lot with grip strength and proprioception, which is, you know, being conscious of where you are in the air, you know, move your body moving fast. Um, and I would say, uh, then probably five to six years ago, my son, who was a young teenager at that time, started getting into rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was like, this is a great way, you know, for a father-son connection. And I jumped into that with him and I loved it. I mean, I was terrified of it at first, you know, just getting up to a certain height and trusting nothing but a rope. Um, but then my grip strength improved quite a bit from that too. Uh, as well as just more of a mental calmness under an, an extreme pressure of the fear of falling, you know. Um, so, so yeah, those two things, uh, rock climbing and ninja gym work, has helped my grip strength maintain and, and actually improve. I'm going to butt in because okay. nobody else has been to Doug's house. <laughs> so let's just have this discussion about Doug's house. Doug's living room is a rock wall. He's got hanging rings from the living room. There's, like, monkey bars with stuff hanging off of them. Um, he, outside, he's got a pegboard. Um, there's a rig outside. He has another makeshift rig that sometimes is in the backyard, sometimes is not. So even though there's not, um, for him, a um, because he doesn't have a ninja gym right next door, um, his house is a big, huge playground. And he keeps creating stuff like he's super inventive with obstacles so he keeps creating stuff and throwing it up there and he's like oh i wonder if i can do this <laughs> so <laughs> i just kind of always go oh my god please just don't get hurt <laughs> <laughs> but he's an amazing rock climber so um i always am impressed and we'll go to a ninja gym and i get so frustrated with them because he'll tell me oh i've never tried this before let me try it and like does it easily so I'm like, really? Like, never mind. Like, and I just have to walk away. <laughs> like, everything, you know, like we talk about things coming natural, but he works, like, he's humble enough to not admit that he works super hard at everything. And, you know, so he'll say, oh, you know, I rock on a little and all this, but his house is just devoted to that, and he's doing it every single day. So. Yeah, God. it's just just doing a little bit every day you know like like five minutes like two rig passes every day to me is a, a stronger training tool than you know once a week like on a saturday spending an hour until your hands are just burned out like if you just maintain just that certain baseline like it it, it comes really easy gotcha yeah i mean you're, you're creating a muscle memory you're creating a pathway in your brain and through your muscles of what it feels like to grab and hang from your hands and to use different grips and holds and, um, you know, swing across the well, across the rings and various holds that way. So, Right. Gotcha. What about your running background? Any endurance running background or anything like that? Um, not, not really endurance. Um, I, I started running uh, like – uh, when I very first started running, it was probably 20 years ago. I did I did not run in school. Um, I didn't do any organized sports in school at all. 
but then when I got to where I was working on my master's degree, I realized, hey, I'm getting stuck behind a desk and hacking at a computer for hours and hours. I need to get up and move or my joints just were aching and everything. So I started running like 15 minutes every other day. And I didn't care how far I went. I just ran a little bit. And I turned that into a, a strong habit and kept that up for maybe two or three years. And then uh, a friend of mine at the gym noticed the numbers on the treadmill. And he said, he said, have you ever run a race? And I was like, no. He said, you should try a 5K. And I, I barely even understood what he was talking about. <laughs> so he was like, well, there's this race coming up in the local town here. And, and I went and did it. And placed in you know maybe top 10 or something and I, then I realized oh okay I guess I'm doing all right with my run speed so then I started paying attention to distance and um, started running every 5k that was around here for several years and then uh, up till about well up until I started OCR racing and then I started really paying attention to going to higher distances but I I don't generally run anything that's farther than a half marathon distance. Gotcha. I love that story because it's built upon persistence, and I'm a I'm a huge fan of just staying consistent and persistent over a long period of time, and you'll see the results that I think people are always trying to find shortcuts to. When in reality, it's just it's just yeah. practice. You just got to yeah. practice a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's get back to OCR WC. So there was the 3K and the 15K. You know, I know the 3K had, what, around 25 obstacles, and the 15K had about, like, 100. So (laughs) did you feel the 100 was excessive, or was it fun? Or kind of give me your opinion on the obstacle density and obstacle difficulty. I thought the – for me, the 3K was fast. Um, I don't know – you know, we talk about any obstacles going to slow you down. I don't think there was any obstacles in the 3K going to slow you down. Um, And the same would go with the 15K. I just think that it was just the amount of obstacles that was there. Um, But for me, like I said, the the ones that stick out the most is the mud. Like, I just felt like it was constantly I was going through – you know, I made the joke afterwards that um, I think a quarter of the obstacles were mud mounds. Um, I know that they took out one of the op- the caterpillar came out of oh, yeah. the race. Um, Can you describe so that for everyone? That's the one. Um, it had two pipes, and your hands went on one pipe, and your feet went on the other pipe, and you were hanging upside down, and you kind of had to shimmy these two pipes down, um, like the two um, like long pipes. And I guess they didn't make enough of the hand and foot pipe. So people were racing, and they would get to the obstacle, but then there was a guaranteed backup because there wasn't enough. You know, it would be like Skitch not having enough of the grips. So I think they only made enough for, like, eight people to go on it. So um, so it was definitely got had a huge backup. Um, and so I know that they took it out early on. Um, so there was controversy a little bit over it because I think they took it out mid-heat of an age group. So I know, um, Doug, was it in for you? No, I never got to try it. Yeah. See, I think they had already taken it out because on the short course, um, again, I think we were the last two waves to go out before the pros went out. Um, And they had already taken it out before we went. So we didn't get to get on it at all. 
and then um, from the comments I read I, online, it sounded like they took it out after the first. It sounded like they took it out at the end of an age group after the first okay. uh, males went through. That's Perfect. what I got from yeah. the comments. I could yeah, be wrong, because, but no, you could be right. Like I, I just know that some people were like, "Well, it wasn't fair that we got there and everyone, you know, we were waiting and then they let the people catch us. So how are they going to compare times?" And I mean, you're not going. It sounds callous, but you're not in a podium contention. I get you're upset, but run fast. You had a break, you know, kind of idea. So, but um, and there's no right way or wrong way to do things. You know, it's hard. So I wouldn't want to have to make that decision because no, you're not going to make anyone happy at that moment. So, um, but the hundred or the hundred obstacles, um, I didn't feel like it was a hundred obstacles, Doug. I don't know how you felt. Uh. I didn't feel like it was a hundred either. Um, I mean, it it all had a good flow. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting where they bunched obstacles up, where there was like thirty feet between a couple of obstacles, but um, it didn't create like a complete muscle failure or anything. Yeah. Um, and I know, like like the wreck bag series, you know, they said they named it a couple different things, but it just kind of was one thing after another. It wasn't like you put it down, did something else, and then picked it back up and did something else. Right. So in that way, I mean, maybe it didn't feel like 100 because they were combined a little bit. Right. And, of course, you know, calling a mud pit a name, you know, I guess that's an obstacle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I even think, like, the bridge... We had um, – there was some fun obstacles, definitely, because initially Doug wasn't signed up for the 15K. And I kind of – when I found out there was 100 obstacles, I kind of strong-eyed <laughs> him and said, it's 100 obstacles. Like, you need to – like, we're going. You need to do 100 obstacles. And, you know, and some of them were fun. Like, they had a zip line um, and then yeah. their big, huge slide, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think the bridge that we had to run across to get – the zipline tool, I think they called that an obstacle as well, yeah. and it's literally just running across a bridge. So yeah. I think that that helped with not feeling it. Um, but I know there was, I mean, it's a lot of fatigue, and I don't think you realize how much fatigue actually sets in because it's not the miles of running in between obstacles. They definitely were bunched pretty well together, and there were some really creative ones, that's for sure. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'd, I love the creativity, and, like, when I'm running, sometimes I'm, like, paying attention to how the obstacle is built and, like, recording that in my memory because I want to go home and try something different. <laughs> so, yeah. so for those of us that have been to NORAM or the other uh, adventure events, you know, name some, a bunch of the obstacles that you were familiar with from the previous events and then name some that are new that people wouldn't be familiar with and kind of describe them. Um, familiar stairway to heaven Um, the big difference at stairway to heaven was the gap I actually had to keep swing to get across Um, I couldn't just like I do at CTG where I'm kind of in a dead hang and then I just reach I couldn't reach so I actually had to build swing to reach across so it was a pretty decent gap Um, let's see urban sky was there it was the okay. exact same setup as Norams. Gotcha. Yes. Mm-hmm. Skull um, Valley, right? Yeah, Skull Valley was the exact same setup as Norams as well, and I think Worlds the year before, where it was um, swing up, 
So we had a ring, I think, um, and then you had to a foot ring, and you had to yep. swing up to get to Skull Valley, and then you had the monkey bar, the twisty, you know, monkey bar sections between. Um, and then um, the Force Five rig was the exact same as Norams as well. So that was a benefit to doing both. Um, Doug, um, the how about a couple different ones? Okay. Um, well, I mean, they modified Skitch. Uh, a lot of I know there was a lot of talk about that, but um, you know they they took out that gap where the the two horizontal pipes were separate. They made it one continuous pipe with just chain hanging down in the middle, so you still had to make a transition around it, but you didn't have that pinch point anymore. Like, if you were at Norams, um, the pipes had two big, huge balls at the end of them, and so that's where people were smashing their fingers. Um, they also added, like, a plate to the bottom of um, – it was a small plate, but to the bottom of the nunchucks. So yeah. if your hands slid down um, – oh. Yeah, it would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would hit the plate. Now, I mean, you still. I like it without it, grip. personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Um, you still had to have decent grip. I mean, you couldn't just rest your hand on that plate. I don't think, but um, but yeah, they had they did have a little plate underneath it that um, would kind of catch your hand. Um, so that got modified that way between Norams and Worlds. Um, they actually used the metal um, bar with the big ball for the low rig. So the low rig was completely different. I know in the past we had done what is it Green Beret? We Who's did a platinum. Rig? We did a low rig for platinum rig uh, in Canada, and then we did the Green Beret Challenge low yeah. rig at Norin this past year. There was it was. Com- completely different. It was basically the pipes from Skitch at Norams that you had to shimmy across, and then there was a ring in between them, and so I just used the ring to swing me to the next pipe and then transitioned over. Oh, interesting. So it was kind of like um, pipe dreams, but you had to use your feet on the pipe. It's like low pipe dreams. That's exactly right. You couldn't, like, just use your hands, but you were, you know, you wrapped your feet around, so it was kind of like a... um, like a rope traverse, but it was a pipe traverse with a with a ring in the middle to get you to the next pipe. So I laughed because I said that was a lot sketchier than I expected it to be because the whole thing shook. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> I remember being like, well, that was more, you know, sometimes you get off obstacles and you're like, well, I didn't expect it to be that sketchy, but, you know, okay, <laughs> I finished. <laughs> so, um, and then there was a long rope traverse. Yes. I remember that. It was, uh, like, I remember thinking, wow, this is probably the second longest rope traverse I've ever done. Yeah, so. and, it, and it was over a big pond with mm-hmm. kind of steep banks, so the the time the time cost for falling off of that was pretty serious. Yeah, because you had to touch both sides. I know people were just crossing the bank and then dropping off, and they would have to redo it because you actually had to touch end-to-end. Ah, so, okay. yeah, you had to touch the frame on the other side, which meant you were going back uphill. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. So, and when I got there, they were pretty wet. There was a lot of people swimming in the water, so they were pretty pretty gross. Um, now, but, we said the the venue was the site of nuclear races, so what nuclear-specific obstacles were there that, um, you know, Americans would not be familiar with? Uh-huh. Uh 
There, the one that sticks out in my mind uh, first off is the one they called Kingfisher, which was a, a curved, an arched up monkey bar, but it ended like just sticking out into space. There wasn't a support at the far end of it, and it was over water, so you had to work your way up the monkey bar and then down a little bit and drop off of it carefully onto a narrow platform that was in the water. I thought that but was... It made it hard. It, like, bounced because yeah. there was no... Like, it just... Just imagine a cane. So it was a monkey bar that looked like a cane, you know? And yeah. so... Um, so it actually bounced. So... Um, and we laughed when we went to Italy afterwards, and we actually saw the exact same thing on a playground. I was like, oh, that's where they got it from. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, that one was unique. Um, trying to think. It was just adaptations oh. to a lot of the stuff we already do. Like, they had um, uh, Legaf, but it was really different than the Legaf we've done. Yeah, I saw a video of it. It had like a ladder as as yeah. the third pipe, and it had some looks like it had some bigger footholds. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. We were thinking that you know the first time you get on it, you're like I was thinking that the piping would be heavier, so harder to pull. Um, and so it wasn't. It actually pulled pretty easy, so that wasn't too bad. Um, oh, the rings. Do you remember those rings, Doug? That you had to go through. It was like a series of rings. That yeah. they just came, like, felt like you were in the circus, and you had to go through like all of these rings, and they were floating over water, and you couldn't touch the water at all. But they weren't excessively high over the water. It would have been really easy to hit the water, and I couldn't figure out like a smooth way to go through them at all. Like I just remember going, yeah. well, that's just not comfortable. <laughs> but other people yeah. were flying through them, so I'm just gonna assume that I just muscled my way through that and didn't use any technique at all so. <laughs> yeah that i i guess a way to describe that is like a series of like 10 or 12 hula hoops made out of metal that were hanging above the water so you had to go through the hula hoops but they were all hanging loose so they were just incredibly awkward and swinging every which way i wish i could remember the name of that yeah i don't know um, and then, oh. I know there's also a big slide, right? That looked, yeah, that looked pretty that fun. fun. It oh was fun. God. The water was cold, but the slide was fun. So, yeah. and I keep looking to see if there's pictures, but I'm like, there's no way I'm going to find my picture on this slide because there's bodies flying everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I, and I don't even remember what lane I went to. So, I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to find it because you would just go flying off this slide. So, Just today I saw some of the pictures from that, and they are so hilarious. <laughs> you know, six people all go down at the same time, and every per everybody is in a completely different position midair. <laughs> it, was fun. it was fun. I can say that um, if I hadn't done the 15K, I would have been sad because the zip line was actually a lot of fun. The slide was a lot of fun. You know, there was a lot of obstacles that you wouldn't have done. Um, you know, if you had just done the 3K, and some of them are definitely unique. And um, so it was pretty cool to go overseas and, you know, do something that was outside of the box for us. You know, even though they're similar to what we do here, they just felt a little bit tweaked. You know, it was a little bit different. So, yeah. um, so it was pretty cool. Cool. Well, sounds like a great experience for those of us, for those 
listeners that are planning on heading there next year. So your recommendation is to do all three or do at least the 15K in the team? What's your recommendation here? I would do all three. You know, definitely do all three. I mean, um, unless you are a little bit more novice and you just – but then I would say – Try the 15K because, again, it's a lot of obstacles, but uh, it's there's only specific obstacles that are going to take your band. That slide, unless you have a fear of water, the, but they give you life vests if you want them. So the slide isn't going to take a band. You know, it's just more for fun um, and, you know, things like that. So I can say that in the 15K in comparison to the 3K, Doug, what do you think? There wasn't many obstacles besides maybe stairway that would have – taken a band that wouldn't take your band in the 3k thoughts right right i'm trying to think um yeah because they didn't have skull valley in the 3k yeah we did oh did we okay yeah we had skull valley in the 3k (laughs) it was so easy doug can't even remember i know i know it was there because one day i spent an hour on it and the other day i went through like it was no nothing so (laughs) yeah Right. So I know it was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But they also have um, more carries, I think, than we've ever done at Worlds or Norams. We did a lot of carries. So, and a lot of, like, heavy drags and things like that. We had um, be prepared to carry a bomb. I saw that. A bomb. And I don't was know that like a slosh like pipe? A, it, it, it felt like a slosh pipe. So I don't know if there was, like, a concrete ball in it. It was freakishly heavy. You know, you get up to it and you think it's going to be like a rec bag heavy. No. It was too, <laughs> like, it was, I think it was heavier than the rec bag. And if it was heavier, it was just more awkward to carry, so it felt heavier. So. Gotcha. Right. Mm-hmm. And not being allowed to put it on your shoulder made it just. You burnt. had to farmer carry it. It burned your grip strength just, you know, with that grip of a wide object like that. Um, that that was very unpopular. <laughs> I was over bombs. <laughs> I was done with them. Uh, so, because we also had to hoist it out of the water. So and then yeah, I saw did, I saw the video of that. Yeah, so you had to hoist it out of the water, had to touch your feet, and then you had to control it to go back into the water. So um, that was our because we had that in the well, I had that in all three races. So um, yeah, I said I'm done with bombs. I am good. So I'll take my rec bag back now. Thank you. <laughs> so now I wasn't there, so I was looking at a lot of the coverage online and the Facebook groups, and I felt like this year compared to other years, there was a lot of posts complain people complaining about cheating. Did you feel like did you see any of that, or you know what was kind of your f- opinion on that? I didn't witness any cheating. Um, I. I don't know. I don't know that you're ever going to stop everyone from cheating. I mean, it's just par for the course. People, you have certain people that race that are always going to look for the, um, well, in the rule book. I mean, because if I look back at Worlds last year, um, I remember getting very frustrated because the rec bag carry, people were sliding on the rec bag down the hill. Um, and so it was kind of destroying the rec bag course. And so I kept falling and they're just sliding past me. And I remember getting frustrated because at that point I was still in podium contention. And I was like, I can't even walk. And they're like, well, in the start line, they said it just has to be arm's length away. And I still have my hand on it while I'm sliding. 
And to me, I was like, but the name says Wreckbag Carry. Yeah. You it's know? against. It's not against the written rule. It's against the spirit of the rules. That's exactly in, in that it. Sense. And so you're always going to find people that are going to look for. Well, it doesn't. It says my feet can't be on it, but it doesn't say my knees can't. You know, and I don't know that you're ever going to be able to stop all of that. In all honesty, and then um, asking one judge or two judges to catch everything is going to be very difficult. Um, right. Um, and I know, like, I think it's been pretty consistent that people have, you know, hid their bands and things like that. I just think that it's getting noticed more. I don't know that it's occurring more, but I gotcha. think it's getting noticed more, if that makes sense. But so I have raced any of it, but I'm also oblivious, so. I've raced in a couple different countries, both running races and OCR and some other th- different things. And sometimes, I'm not going to start calling out countries that I've seen, but like sometimes I feel like it's a cultural difference. Like, you know, we have a certain set of values um, in America and, you know, generally trying to do what's right and win. And other people, like I've been to other countries where the attitude is more like win at all costs. Right. And kind yeah. of be damned, be damned of what else, whatever else happens. Uh, right. Do you think any of that was maybe culturally, I'm not like trying to point out yeah. a country or a region but like and i also think that it depends on the level because in certain countries you know um you know and i can say like i've been to puerto rico i love puerto rico i support puerto rico but we had a long discussion because we were there the girls were using the a-frame to climb the wall and you know and so jay and i talked and i said you need to let them know that in the u.s that's not going to be allowed you know what I yeah. mean? So I don't even know that it's a cultural difference as much as if in their country it's kind of a, like, oh, well, that's how we do that obstacle. And then they come over here. They don't know any difference. Gotcha. You know what I mean? And so I think, like, the Puerto Ricans have the benefit that Jay will say, like, listen, here's the rules. Um, but the other countries, do they really have somebody that's a spokesperson saying, like, hey, when you go to the rigs, don't grab the chain. When you go to this, don't do that, you know? I don't know. Mm. You know? So that's that's my only thought. Like I but I tend to like to believe the best of people mostly. Yeah. So And you you also mentioned the number of uh such foreign competitors, maybe non English speaking. Mm-hmm. So theoretically language could play a part in that too. Just right. maybe not understanding all the rules, or maybe sure. um, if you want to go the thinking more poorly of people's opinion or people's personal judgment, they may have used language as a means to, you know, claim ignorance. Right. So. Right. That's exactly it's, it. And I always say you're not going to stop the cheaters, so you just have to get stronger to be able to beat the cheaters. That's all. <laughs> yeah. That's. If I can't uh, control what somebody else is going to do, if they're going to cheat, they're going to cheat. You know, and if they get caught, they get caught. If not, you know, I just kind of have to be stronger than somebody if they do choose to cheat. And my standards, like, I'm probably the excessive other way, you know. Like, I I hold myself to a huge standard of I have to be able to sleep with myself at night, so. Yeah, it's funny you say that. So in 2015 and 2016, I felt like I saw several people cheat at several different races, maybe like three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was getting like so pissed and then I was like well you know like how do you stop it and exactly what you said you know I was like well I'll just be better than them like I'll just be so far in front that 
they don't have a chance to. It doesn't matter if they cheat because I'm I'm already too fast and I'm already too smooth at the obstacles. Right. So that's what I kind of I use that to drive some of my training a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I don't see cheating as much. I I don't, you know. But right. again, it's perception. Well, uh, largely, and I think so. yeah, and that's why I said I think for me, and I don't know like for Doug, but I stop. I don't look at people for cheating. Like I worry about my race. I'm not going to worry about somebody else's race because again the only thing I can control is my race I can't control how they race so when people say did you see anyone cheating or anything I mean I wasn't looking so yeah yeah it's on what I'm doing it's hard to notice for sure and especially you don't see the same person twice generally right so, so overall how do you think Adrian and Venturi and o- OCRWC did um, would you say better than previous years, the same as previous years, a uh, little bit worse? What's the general consensus? Um, or just different? I I think that it was a little bit better. Like I said, I did Canada two years ago. Um, I'm not as good at the steep hill climbing because I live in the flatlands on the coast. So this race was more of my power zone. Um, and I'm also used to a little bit nastier mud being on the coast. Um, you know, we've got some bayou swamps around here that it's pretty easy to get stuck in. Um, and I, I love the idea that it's like a flat hundred obstacles. Like that's the record number or something. And, uh, so I feel like that, that was a good benchmark in my running career to, to do that 15K portion at least. And I'm the opposite. I didn't like it as much. (laughs) But I don't like, um, you know, I always make the jokes, like, when I talk to people about OCR, and their first thing to me is, oh, I don't want to get all muddy. And my response is, oh, I don't want to get muddy either. My goal is to never be muddy. You know, in my opinion, like, in my thoughts, I always think, well, the only time I'm going to get muddy is if I fall off an obstacle and fall in the water, I'm going to get muddy. So if you just stay on the obstacles, you don't get muddy. And um, and that was definitely not this race. So for me, it was more of a personal preference um, that I just didn't feel like um, I didn't like the race as much. But again, that's my personal preference of the style of racing I like. So I don't think it bears anything onto the job that Adrian and Rachel Ann and like this they did an amazing job. I think the other thing they had working against them is that um, Blue Mountain the the venue itself like the restaurants were right there the hotels were right there everything was within walking distance so you really felt the village feel um and it and i didn't know anything different like i didn't know the ohio races where you didn't have that it was a venue you know and so you go to the venue you race you leave the venue and so for me i missed that component of of, oh, well, afterwards we all hang out and we all, you know, it was kind of like everyone went their separate ways and you didn't see anyone except for when you went back to the race the next day. So, um, you know, so I think I missed that component of it. But again, you know, it's a venue and you're not going to get, hey, look, we have 50 hotels and within walking distance and, you know, all that. So, so yeah, I missed that part of it. But um, like I said, I still don't think that that, puts anything against they did a phenomenal job and it still felt like worlds so gotcha 
Mm-hmm. I hear you. It's like I like the U.S. OCRC, the Texas course. Mm-hmm. Like as a course, I like that one better. But I thought the experience at Noram this year was a better experience. You know, with, the village wasn't as big as Blue Mountain, but it they still had a village at the base. Um, it's just yeah, yeah. It just it's, I thought I thought the company did a smoother job, basically running everything uh, right. this year compared to U.S. OCRC. So yeah, I think gotcha. that it being its first year overseas, it had its hiccups. But I think that the good thing about them is that they realize it had its. They're not saying you know they realize it had its hiccups, and they've already announced some how things will change in the future. So yeah, they just put out an article on Mud Run Guide today announcing what was it like seven or nine changes? Yeah, coming like seven changes, and you know some of them you know it's smart. Like registration was. I've never stood in registration that long. <laughs> <laughs> how long do you think we were there? Probably, Probably two hours. Yeah, two hours. Gotcha. get packets and everything so uh, you know we were definitely like whoa so um but yeah okay and then real quick because i want to talk about a couple of things touch on the team race real quick was there anything very unique about that or was it still kind of the standard speed leg strength leg technical leg uh, it, team over the wall um it was the same um the biggest difference was we had more team obstacles so um, when technically was done, you know, normally you go straight to the wall, you go over the wall, you're done. Um, they added in the at, like it was like these big atlas stones, and you felt like you were putting them on a gurney, <laughs> and then you had to oh walk yeah, I saw up. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like one person's on the front of the gurney, one person on the back or the stretcher, one person on the front of the one person on the back stretcher, yeah. and it's like one person trying to balance them, make yep. sure they don't roll off. Correct. Um, and so that got added in, and then there was like a rope climb. Doug, maybe you can explain it better than me. Yeah, it was it was just a, a low rope climb, but it kind of had two sections of framing overhead, so uh, the team all had to use the same rope, so you had to wait for your teammates to go up and over this framing, but you had to kind of grab the first part of the frame and then scramble up another two feet and then go over the top and then come back down the rope. Um, that was just, yeah, it was just a momentum breaker and it took a minute for everyone to get up and down the same rope. Yeah. Um, and then I felt bad for Matt because we had a pretty decent run. And we all know I can't run fast. But and then Doug had just come off of technique, so you know where you normally tag out, and the person that's tagging out is like, oh, and I'm done. You know, I just right. gave everything. The poor technique person like did their whole section, <laughs> and they didn't get a recovery. <laughs> they just had to keep going, and so you know, like I kept because I've always done technique. In this race, I did strength, um, and so I just told Doug, I said, just remember, your race isn't done at the tag. Like, your race actually keeps going. So don't go to failure at the tag because then it's just going to stink. So, um, and I said it was very different doing the team race because I didn't get off the course until, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock. I don't think we left the venue the night before the team race until, like, 8 p.m. by the time we showered and everything so i was like oh my god i was just here 12 hours ago and so i think we both were pretty exhausted as opposed to running in the morning and then you get the whole day to recover um it was like sleep get up and go and it's 
for us, it's our only morning race. So everything else had been at like 11, 12, 1, um, and then all of a sudden we're racing at 9 a.m. So Matt um, did an awesome job, and he did an amazing job on the speed leg too, so I was super impressed. So Definitely. Now I, I noticed mm-hmm. I saw several people comment about the obstacle completion rate, and some people put up graphs basically that it was lower than previous years. Um, did you feel like it was too hard, or do people just need to train harder, or what's what's kind of your opinion on the obstacle? I don't know difficulty? that it was too hard. Like I said, I got hung. I mean, I did finish the course um, with a band, but I got hung, and it's the first year I've ever gotten stuck. But I think it was more of a situational. And if you look at, granted, as you look at the results, um, it's the older crowd goes later tends to be and the completion rate gets lower but i also think that the temperature and the weather has a and just the course destruction has a big factor that plays into that i think the course itself sometimes gets harder later absolutely and like we talked about with bfx yeah the late some of the later laps were it was just like a complete mess i remember being just shocked at how uh, how much different the course was from the first couple laps yeah i think i fell like seven times on my butt trying to run like just sliding in mud and I got to the point where I was like I don't want to hurt myself so I slowed down on the run because I just didn't want to um and there wasn't a lot of water on the back half of the course so and no nutrient like I know they normally don't but all that was on the course was water so no electrolyte no nothing it was just water um and so um I think that by the time I got to Skull Valley, I just remember being cold, super hungry, and um, exhausted and dehydrated. Mm. You know, so I just think that it would be interesting if they switched up because we always, like, I've always been in the last wave. Um, So you wonder sometimes if they switched up the order, if it would change things around a little bit and give, I hate to say that, you know, your master's female are a little bit weaker because I'm trying so hard to prove that not true. Um, and same thing with your master's men. Like, give them more of a better start time. Would it change their rate of success? I don't know. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, physiologically, the older females are going to be weaker. Like, that's... Right. I don't... I mean, it's just... That's physiologically what, what happens. Right. Um well, and you have to make the, I think the idea for John Alban right. and Brian Atkins and all of them, and we run the exact same course. So it's a I always say it's a world championship course. You shouldn't be worried about the failure, right? Yeah. You know? So, but it's always it's it's always a tough question because one person's too hard is going to be the next person's too easy, right. right? And then the other person's just right. You know, I think they put the younger age groups at the beginning because the idea is to get them on and off the course faster because typically they'll be running faster. So that allows you to clear people through the course versus sending the older people first and now you have maybe some backups at lines that you shouldn't have had um, if you reverse the order. Doug, did you have backups? Um... uh, When I got to Skull Valley, there was a huge crowd of people there um, and I just kind of observed as I ran up to it that a few people were just kind of standing there, like, wringing their hands. And I just basically went to the front and said, do you mind if I give it a shot? And I just went on through. 
Um, so I think that the retry, the retry lane was just overflowing, and people were just starting to try it every lane. But other than that, there wasn't. I don't remember any major backlogs anywhere else. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I think that was a pretty thorough recap of OCRWC. Um, I know you guys went on vacation afterwards. For those of us that are going to be traveling next year, did you like going on vacation afterwards now that your race was over, or would you recommend going on vacation maybe before, or maybe just going to the race and coming back? What were your What are your thoughts on that? Doug, you want to um, take it? I, I, I like the idea of going on vacation afterwards. I mean, it was kind of like the reward for putting in the work and, you know, there was just a sense of relief. Okay, the race is done. The pressure's off. Now we can just go on vacation and just don't have to worry about the, the clock so much and being any place in particular times. Well, and we went up, like, into the Alps, and we did a lot of hiking and things like that. And I think that if we would have gone before, you would have to be a little bit more mindful to the fact that you're racing um, and your training routine and everything like that. Um, and so I don't know, like, I think I liked vacationing afterwards because I felt like we could just do whatever we want. We don't have to worry about nutrition. We don't have to worry about, you know, that kind of stuff. We yeah. could just enjoy being on vacation. Um, so, and as far as just going out racing and coming back, I mean, if you've, I guess if you're from that area, it makes sense. Kind of like for us going to Canada, like, we went to Canada, we came back. I didn't go see Niagara Falls again. Like, I didn't do that. Um, but if you've never been to Europe, I can say that once you're in Europe, like, once you're in England, it's fairly inexpensive to travel, you know? Yeah, the so, initial investment is the plane ticket over there. That's correct. the expensive part. And right. so, um, and we make a joke um, that I'm not a London lover. But I'm not a city person. Like, I much prefer the country. So if all we would have done is gone over to London and come back, I would have been like, okay. You know, versus the fact that we went up into the Alps and we got to see, like, all the ruins and everything. Like, that absolutely made me go, oh, I'm in love. Like, you know. So um, so I think that that brings a whole new component, especially if, you know, you're not this big city person or, you know. And London is... London. London's a big city. It's cool. I mean, it's really neat, but it's still city and it's still a lot of traffic and things like that. So, but, and there's a little, I know everybody, like, it's funny to see the posts from uh, the U.S. people. They scattered. I mean, we went everywhere. People were all over the place. So it was pretty neat. Yeah, I concur with the go on vacation after the race. I've done a couple of races overseas, Australia, U.K., Lebanon, and the, uh, I like I like, you know, once the race is over, you, again, you like you said, you just kind of go wherever the wind takes you. And yeah. you know, I walk a lot during my vacation, so uh, I'll go to a lot of museums, but, like, we end up walking a lot in between them. Yeah. So, like you said, you, you don't want to tire yourself out or be worried about what you're eating right before the, the major right. event. So, right. strongly concur there. Um, and then, you know, if I go – if I'm there a couple of days early, all I'm thinking about is the race. I'm like, all right, what I get? That's a, exactly you know, it. And I it's think, like, like, once the race was done, our minds were, like, straight went to vacation mode. Like, yeah. uh, it's time to party now, you know? So, yeah. Cool. 
Okay, let's couple final questions. Uh, we didn't get to hear that much from Doug for the episode, so we may have to bring him on again in the future. I know. But before <laughs> before we let you guys go, quick, you know, what's it like dating another um, top level athlete, and then kind of, you know, how's the long distance relationship working out for, you know, maybe some other OCR lovers that happen to meet on another, a different podium or. A, you know, at the beer tent and uh, are trying to work out their OCR love life. <laughs> OCR life. All right, oh. you can go. This is you. <laughs> oh, okay. I got to talk careful here. <laughs> um, so the long distance thing, I've, I've never tried that before. And Lisa, I don't think you had either, right? No, I had. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. I'll speak for myself. <laughs> um, well, you know, it just you you cherish the time that you're physically t- together, um, and in the last year, that's often been at races here and there. You know, we travel from our separate points and meet up at the race, and then sometimes have an extra day or whatever. But uh, it's, I mean, it it takes some discipline to. To make it work and, you know, to realize that talking on the phone is the only way to communicate without, like, you know, seeing face-to-face and seeing your expressions and everything. Um, but, it I mean, it's definitely a, a cool angle to adventure because when you do meet up at the race, like, of course, you've prepared for the race and you're super excited for the race, but then I'm super excited to see Lisa and and then... Like I think that energy is actually synergistic, and it builds, and it, I, it may well be helping our racing careers. <laughs> <laughs> so what he's saying is we're going to stay long distance, so he's racing better. <laughs> it's good to have priorities. Priorities are important. I knew I couldn't say anything right. <laughs> so, but what he's missing is we also have pretty our. Um, we're completely honest with each other. Um, and we went into it saying that, that, you know, like we're very open about everything. Um, so if you misconstrued, like, because it's a lot of texting, it is a lot of phone calls, but I think it's a lot of texting and communicating that way. And so making sure that you're very careful about not misconstruing something that comes through and taking things personal, um, but then very open communication. Um, and I think, I think we do a really good job at still feeling like we have the day-to-day. You know, um, we share a calendar, and so if there's stuff going on with the kids and things like that, I know because it's on the calendar. You know, so you still feel that I know what you're up to every day um, kind of idea, you know. Oh, that's um, a good idea. He, I like that. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. also make sure, like I told them, that every um, – Every time we see each other can't be a race trip. Otherwise, it just becomes about racing and not about the relationship. And so we're also very careful that, you know, it's hard during peak race season. um, But now during off race season, it'll be, you know, like less. Um, And then, you know, there's races that he'll go to that I don't go to. And there's races that I've gone to that he doesn't go to. Um, So remaining that independence um, is still okay. Um, 
and it's funny if he's racing i mean i can't leave my phone i'm like oh my god what's going on you know and normally uh doug will go to spartan races and i don't and spartan races is great because i can just pull up chrono track and track him (laughs) so i tend to know how he's finished before he does (laughs) so i'll you know automatically like hey good job you know kind of thing so um so it's yeah it's definitely different um, and it's funny because we also train very different than one another. And so when yes. I'm visiting him, it's like more rock climbing and ninja and um, more road running for me. And then when he's up visiting me, it's more weightlifting and trail running on hills. So, um, so it's pretty funny. So I always say you know where the big race is by who's going to whose house. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. I like it. Okay, since we have three people on the podcast, I didn't prep you with this question, uh, so you're going to have to think on the fly. Say one thing people would be surprised to know about you, and whoever's ready can go first, and we will share, and then we will give a final shout-out to some sponsors and friends, and then we will uh, wrap it up here. So who wants to go? I can go. Um. I think people will be surprised to know I didn't do any kind of sports stuff in high school or college and that I didn't get involved in in running or anything competitive until well after college. Okay. Yeah. Lisa, you're up. Well, people don't know about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one's hard, actually, because I'm pretty much an open book. Um, I don't know that many people know that I have pretty severe asthma. And so, and I'm allergic to albuterol, which is the main component in an inhaler. So I have to learn to run um, managing my asthma naturally. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so no medication, no nothing. So, yeah. So a lot of times when I'm running and people are like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I just can't breathe. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's something that's newer. All right, so since Doug went with like a throwback uh, fact, I'll go with one for myself. So in high school, I used to act in plays and musicals. So I've been in like six different musicals and five different plays. Please tell me there's videos. <laughs> they are. They are on a VHS uh, cassettes, and I do have a VHS player, which uh, you can't, you cannot get from me. So um, no, you cannot that's see them. Right. <laughs> but uh yeah so i've let's see for musicals i was in uh, wizard of oz guys and dolls sound and music uh anything goes what else i don't know oh this is even better it's it's pretty good that's awesome my <laughs> the best one the best one was my senior year i was a uh, friedrich from sound and music so like one of the little kids because i'm i'm short and like my best friend was my dad in the uh in the play which was really funny. We had a we had a good time. That's cool. So that's really cool. I actually wasn't that crazy about like acting. I was like, all right, yeah, it's kind of fun. But the kind of like OCR, it was like the people that made it really good. Like the, you know, I, I honestly when I went to like auditions, I almost didn't care what part I got. I just wanted to hang out with the same with those people. They were we were just we just had a good time. So that's amazing. Good place to pick up chicks too. You know, not that many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my goal too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Oh. <laughs> so, that's funny. 
Final shout-outs, friends, family, sponsors, whatever you want. Doug, you're up first. Uh, okay. Um, well, shout-out to Lisa for pushing me and believing in me and giving me a lot of confidence when I have some doubts on different things. Um, and my kids for tolerating me disappearing for weekends <laughs> or now 10 days in a chunk. <laughs> uh, they've learned how to manage the household without me. <laughs> um, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Lead Ops because I've been using their product for a number of years and Ray's been a real good friend to me for a long time. Um, you got a code for discount for them? No. Okay, I, I do then. I'm going to give you my code. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> SS10 gives you 10% off. So that's SS10. Excellent. Um, and I guess... I guess that's about it for shout-outs. Lisa, you're up. All right. Well, I have to definitely thank my jobs. Um, I work as a gymnastics coach, and I also am a personal trainer, and both gave me the freedom to be able to take almost two weeks off of work, which is pretty amazing, um, especially in both of those fields. So um, I want to thank Gymfinity and Hybrid both definitely for um, allowing me to travel this year as much as I did. Um, and then as far as um, sponsors, I really have to thank Ophos because <laughs> I didn't realize how much I wear these shoes. And so we, you know, pulled pictures and I live in these shoes. And if you don't have a pair of these things, you probably need to go buy them because I've done rock climbing. They've been to the beach. <laughs> I mean, these poor shoes are more worn than anything. I wear um, my, like, tennis shoe kind of ones um, to all my gymnastics meets, and my feet no longer hurt. So, like, they're amazing. So thank you guys so much. Yeah, the, the UFO shoes are insanely comfortable. I when I finished Endure the Gauntlet, I like you know walking anywhere hurt, and I actually kept my shoes on when I was in the house because it was the only way I could walk semi-normal through the house. It, yeah, because like ridiculous. walking barefoot on on like a hardwood floor was was hurting too much. So yeah, um, especially if you're an endurance athlete or like a toughest mother, world's toughest ultra beast kind of person. I mean, they are next level comfortable. Like if you don't have one, you're living in the past, right? Like. You need to stop. Right. You need to get out of 1990 and like catch, catch up with 2018. And then if, yeah. even if you're a short course athlete, I mean, like like Lisa said, super comfortable. So check. Them oh out. yeah, I train and put them on. I train and put them on. And like I'm on my feet all day long. And so I just you know I'm constantly in my shoes. So I love them. All right, I'm just gonna give a quick shout out to the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. Got a lot of good stuff coming from our Facebook page. So make sure you go check that out. And then go check out www.ctgproteam.com. Got some discount codes on there. Again, we're now that it's coming into the off season, we're gonna update it a lot more because we have a lot more free time to do things like that. So <laughs> check out that for a lot of great videos and content and training videos and workout videos yeah. and there's a lot of good stuff on there. You know, if you want to see what TV shows we've been on and what books we've been in and articles we've been in and stuff like that there's a lot of really cool stuff there so definitely check it out some codes for a lot of our sponsors too and um again the sponsors we have are the people who are supporting the sport of ocr so you know when you're looking to buy products you know preferably give your money to them as opposed to someone else who has invested absolutely nothing into the sport so right 
Yeah. Check them out. All right, we're going to wrap it up. We've been talking for way too long. Guys, thanks for coming on. <laughs> Doug, we'll bring you back on at a later point and talk to you a little bit more without yeah, Lisa. Yeah. She's he's shit. super interesting. Then I can just make him talk. <laughs> yes. I won't overwhelm him then. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you guys later. All right, All right. thanks, Evan.